0: We continue our series in the book of Colossians, and last week, if you will remember, we talked about the accomplishments on the cross, what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. We've been made alive with Christ, forgiven of our sins, and we have the victory that he has given us. And every once in a while through the book of Colossians, as we'll find this morning, we find that word, therefore. When you ever see the word, therefore, that means you've got to look back to see what was just said and taught, and that's what we have this morning. As we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, this therefore, since now we've been made alive with Christ, been given new life, and since we've been forgiven, and since we have the victory that Christ has given us, Paul writes to these Christians in Colossae, he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or what you may do or not do on the Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you have died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom where their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, which in that day was called asceticism, But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have a denominational magazine that's called The Banner. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a a periodical that you can receive for free. And I've said that before here. If you don't receive the banner, which is filled with a lot of good articles for Christian living and the like, just call the office and we'll make sure you get put on the list. And you can read through this periodical from time to time. I'm going to go way back to, uh, let's see, about two years after I entered the ministry in 1987. They don't have this section in the banner anymore, but it's something that I always appreciated. It was a question and answer page. So anyone, any any members in the denomination or whoever received the banner could send in a question to to, to the authors of the banner and they would seek to answer it uh, using scripture as their base. And in one of those banners in 1987, there was this question asked. And some of us are going to get this and some of us are going to say, excuse me. But this is the way things were back in 1987. The question was, from a, Christian, a church member and attender. Will we go to hell if a couple times a year we have a family dinner or brunch after church? Where do you think? In a restaurant. My in-laws seem to believe this to be true. Now, some of you sitting here this morning who weren't brought up in this tradition, you're like, what? but a few of you, you may nod your head saying, yeah, right, I was, been there, done that, I remember that time. Will you go to hell if a couple times a year, not three, but just two, if a couple times a year you decide to go out on Sunday and have lunch in a restaurant? I'm going to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, and, and I'm going to see how Paul answers that question. And then we're going to come back to this question at the end of this message to see if the author got it right. Okay, so we'll come back to it. First of all, we understand in verses 16 to 17 that since Jesus is all we need, which is, of course, the theme, one of the themes of this whole series, right? The supremacy of Christ, Jesus is all we need. Since Jesus is all we need, verses 16 and 17... Paul says, "Do not let anyone judge your moral behavior by a set of standards that they created and are demanding you to follow." And let that sink in for a moment. Do not let anyone judge you your moral behavior because of standards, moral conduct that they set up, and they want you to follow. In Colossae, there were legalists. Uh, legalists who demanded that Christians follow, not God's law in this case here, but they were demanding that as well. But these were things uh, <clears throat> above and beyond the law, the things that the Pharisees really got into. You may have heard of things like the Mishnah and the Talmud. Uh, they were old uh, texts of Judaism that they wrote. They were extra-biblical rules that they set in place to follow. And the, and the Mishnah had like 39 do not do this or else and that was found in the larger text called the Talmud it was regarding moral behavior and and a lot of these man-made rules had to do which in that day was how to observe the Sabbath that was their Sunday how should we live what may we do and what may we not do and I read through some of these 39 things and some of them are Kind of interesting. And I'll just share with you. And this has brought back memories to me. Because I remember as a kid, seven, eight-year-old kid, peeling carrots and potatoes on Saturday night. Anybody else have to do that? Yeah. We did in the busker home. Because you can't do that on Sunday because it's work, right? This is what we read into from, the, from these. This is what the Colossae church was facing. Pharisees who were teaching things like this. Look, our laws, our rules, our legalistic rules say no cooking on the Sabbath to eat no writing how about this no walking more than two-thirds of a mile okay. some of you walk around i just seen with well, these steps or something that you can see how many steps you take in a day okay. 39 steps not one more <clears throat> no spitting no swatting the fly you can swat a mosquito but not a fly <clears throat> see how silly this is sounding how about this? You cannot look into a mirror because if you look into a mirror, this is especially geared towards women, you might see a gray hair that you want to pluck out of your head. Ah, these were rules that they were enforcing upon other Christians. <laughs> the last one, if you want to read all 39, you can, you can look up the mission, but the last one was, I thought, are you kidding me? If you were a Jew... And your chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath. You had to sell it to a Gentile the next day. You think you find that in the Bible any place? This is part, part of what we're talking about this morning. These were extra biblical laws that they were demanding in the Christians in Colossae to follow. Now, I recall as I began studying this, I recall growing up in a very, very good church. I said, tell you what, it's a place where jesus I met Jesus in, in ways I, I maybe would have met in other good Christian churches, uh, just learned to love him and the like. But I always was confused uh, by some of these man-made extra-biblical laws that I was told we had to follow. And I struggled with it already when I was 8, 9, and 10, but boy, you didn't dare ask the question to your parents or your pastor because this was the way it was. And and some of you are going to say, yeah, I remember those days. This is what I grew up with, Just, just to give you an idea. Of course, no dancing of any kind, not even liturgical dance in the churches. And I remember that if we were going to have a square dance weekend someplace with members of the congregation, we had to put in the bulletin, square skipping. No card playing. And no, I know y'all played Rook way back then, so you can just confess it now. Now, ready for this? I didn't go watch a movie in a the theater until I was in college. Because we weren't allowed. The movie theater was a place where bad things were shown. No drinking alcohol, and of course the no going out to eat. In fact, I remember the only time that my dad would ever go out to eat was when it was deer hunting week. Then it was okay. I remember the sign in Grofskopf where I grew up on the ball field that it said, uh, there's a big sign on the fence that said, no Sunday play. And I always would scratch my head saying, what? Can't play on Sunday? Of course, don't even think about going to the beach. And I remember we were planning youth service once with the youth leaders. We wanted to have a worship service at night at Ottawa Beach in Michigan. <laughs> as soon as the council caught wind of that, beach is a bad place to go on Sunday. I remember when Myers opened for the first time on Sunday, Myers 30 Acres. And then the next weekend, I remember the pastor saying something like, we will no longer shop at Myers." And asked everyone in the congregation to no longer be, a, be a, someone who shops at Myers because they opened their store on Sunday. There's gas stations. You couldn't get gas. Of course, you couldn't ride our bikes. And women had to wear skirts and not pantsuits of any kind. Okay, You get the idea. This is the culture I grew up in. This is the culture some of you grew up in. Uh, now let me say again, I understood why these rules were set in place. And that's the good thing. They wanted me to remember that, okay, Sunday is a special day. And there are certain things we won't do. Not because they were sinful, per se, but we just don't do them. Because we want to honor God in this day. And this is one way they honored him. But I'm telling you what, if you broke the rules, man, we could play catch but not hit the ball with a bat. If my, one of my brothers dared to hit the ball with a bat, there, was, there were problems. Okay. There, there, there was judgments made. This is legalism, but we're, is what we're talking about. Legalism. Paul says, listen, to the church in Colossae where these Pharisees are throwing these 39 laws down their throat regarding Sabbath observance stuff. And, and he speaks to us this morning, he says, do not let anyone judge you by man-made rules. They may have them, and they may abide by them, but do not let anyone enforce their rules regarding moral conduct about what they think is right and wrong on you. Okay, that's the simple message of these first two verses. Don't let them do that. Mark preached on, Pastor Mark preached on having freedom in Christ a few weeks ago. That's what this is about. These are man-made laws. And notice the language of shadow and reality. This is important. Understanding that the Old Testament, even with all its ceremonial laws, which these Judaizers legalists wanted to enforce upon the Christians in Colossae, the Old Testament ceremonial laws and the like were just a shadow of things to come. Sometimes you talk about the Old Covenant as a shadow of what is to come. And some people, like these Judaizers, these legalists, wanted to remain in the shadow, forgetting that laws were given, even the Ten Commandments were given, not to be something unto themselves, but they were given to point us to Jesus Christ. Because even following the Ten Commandments isn't, isn't, isn't going to be able to cleanse you from your sin. Ceremonial laws, the Old Testament covenant was given for one purpose, to point us to the coming of a Messiah. And these Judaizers should do very much to the law in every way. Why to not stay living in the shadow and force the shadow upon people? And Paul says, why, why are you doing that? Why are you judging people that way? you no longer in the shadow because the reality now has come in Jesus Christ. The substance, the real thing. Why follow a shadow if you can follow the real thing? That's what Paul is talking about here. He says, find your place in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not in a place of requirements that you have to keep because there are so many people as we find here in this passage who may still be living their Christian life out in regulations and restrictions who are yet far from Jesus because they haven't made the move from shadow to reality. Nothing wrong with these laws over here. In fact, we still have laws. In fact, we still obey, quote, the 10 commandments as a rule of life. But remember what they do. They point us to Jesus Christ that's why they were given him. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law and all of its requirements, and now free to live in him. Relationship trumps regulations. In verses 18 and 19, he goes on to talk about these legalistic Judaizers who not only judged people, but they began to make them think that they would no longer be qualified to have salvation to go to heaven someday. They judged them in such a way that they would say something like, you're disqualified because you broke the rules. Now that can be illustrated in so many ways. Those of you who follow any kind of sporting event, can you think about any athletes, even professional athletes, or maybe you yourself, when you were an athlete, where you were disqualified from something because you broke the rules? Uh, I recall too. And I go a little ways back. You remember Lance Armstrong? You know he won all of these races in the Tour de France, and then they found out he was on performance enhancement drugs, broke the rules. Those awards were taken away from him, disqualified. I remember Marion Jones, She was a a great woman's uh, trackster, track and field. And she won, what, three, four gold medals in the races that she won. And then they found out that she was on performance enhancement drugs. And she was disqualified from what she won, and all those gold medals had to be returned. Because when you break the rules, you see you're disqualified. The legalists, these Pharisees, these Judaizers... In the church of Colossae, they were setting themselves up as uh, self-appointed umpires. Okay? They called the shots. They had the rules and made sure people would abide by them. They were telling Christians, if you follow our rules, you'll be okay. Salvation is yours for sure. But if you don't follow our rules as well as the biblical rules, then salvation is not going to be yours. And do you know what these, these uh, uh, Judaizers were pretty much telling Christians? who had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they pretty much were saying, you're out of there. Can you imagine that? And what this began to do is raise doubts in people's minds regarding their salvation. They accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They were living with the freedom of Christ. Their relationship was good with Christ. And here comes these people whose relationship was not good with Christ because they failed to move from shadow to reality, who were telling them that if you don't follow our rules, especially these 39 rules of the Mishnah, your salvation is in jeopardy. You got to get with a program and follow our rules. If not, you will be disqualified from the prize that your salvation will bring. And let me tell you, we have plenty yet today of self appointed umpires. You've met them, maybe you're one of them who make the rules for other people how they should live and their moral behavior and you tell them that they have to live like you're living or there's a problem, and they may disqualify you. Paul's response is pretty much, uh, are you kidding me? Really? You're telling good Christian people who have a sound relationship with Jesus Christ and are living with the freedom that Christ has given them? You're telling them that they'll lose their salvation if they don't follow your rules? He said, what's that all about? And who gives them that authority? He says, listen, as these verses uh, still continue. They're full of false humility. They're full of pride. They're full of prejudice. They're puffed up. They have idle notions. Their minds are unspiritual. They're the ones who have the problem. Now, I'm dealing just this morning with this whole issue of Sabbath laws. But he speaks also in this passage about they also have a problem when they tell you that you have to worship angels, when they tell you that you have to uh, apply self-discipline into your life in such a way that you have to refuse every kind of pleasure that I have given you in order for you want to be saved. They're telling you that, you that you have to be a person who has this great spiritual experience that you can't have with just Christ. Or that you have to be anointed in a second time with the Holy Spirit. Or, even as I hear some people say today, you got to be baptized again! if you're going to be saved. Understand where this is going? He says, listen, are you kidding me? Don't listen to these self-appointed umpires. Don't listen to those who say, you have to live by my set of rules. In the end, he said, they will be the ones who are disqualified. And the truth is, they're so focused. This is the problem with remaining in the shadow. They were so focused on the rules and regulations and requirements of their performance that they were unable to see Christ as the one who could save them. That his blood alone is what they needed to be saved. They were unable to see that because they were blind. What they had done, and it says that in these verses, they've lost connection with the head. They were very much connected with the law. But they lost connected with Jesus. And the whole purpose of the law was to point people to Jesus. That simply means for us this morning if you still judge your life and your salvation at whether or not even you're keeping the Ten Commandments, you've got a problem. Because you can't keep them. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus obeyed them perfectly. And your salvation and my salvation is based on his righteousness, not on us meeting requirements to be saved. That's what this is all talking about. That's why our theme we find through the book of Colossians is Jesus is all we need. Not Jesus plus Sabbath rules that I have to follow to be saved. Not Jesus plus the worship of angels. Not Jesus plus a kind of self-discipline that I have that I'm going to deprive myself of some of the pleasures that God gave us in this world. Uh, Not not, uh, Jesus plus, as he mentions here, the mysticism or the spiritual experience or unless Jesus speaks to you like he speaks to me, you can't be saved. Put that all aside, he said. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus is all we need, and then in verses twenty to twenty-three, he drives his point home. He says, "Listen, since you've died with Christ, that's going to be an important concept. I believe next week we come back to that as we begin chapter three. If you've been uh, uh, connected with the Christ, uh, if, since Christ is, is in you, this is how you should live." He said, "Listen, since you died with Christ to the spiritual forces, why would you even think about about submitting to these rules?" Because if you submit to these rules, and if that's all your focus is on, you're going to completely miss the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. All this stuff, notice what he says. All this stuff about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And all our rules regarding our Sunday, which is our Sabbath day today. All this stuff about uh, um, do, do not swing a bat on Sunday, uh, do not go for a walk. We had a couple, go for a walk. I've read this in minutes of 1920. Uh, Christian Reformed Church. A couple took a walk around the lake on Sunday, and they were disciplined. 1920. Okay, we're kind of kind of past that. But this is what Paul is talking about. He said, "What is that? And what is this thing about going out to eat? That's what you base your righteousness on. Is that all you're focused on? Such rules. This, listen now. He says, Paul says, such rules will perish. These requirements, these regulations, they're all going to be dead and gone." Because of Jesus, they're the mere shadow of things to come. In other words, less focus here, more focus here on Christ. Think less about submitting to those silly kind of rules. Think more about submitting to Christ. He's your Lord and Savior, and he fulfilled all of these regulations and rules, and not even the funny ones, but even the law of God. He fulfilled Submit then to Christ. Stop focusing on the do's and don'ts and focus more on Jesus Christ. That's why this whole series is on the supremacy of Christ and that Jesus is all you need. He says, listen, he says in verses 20 to 23, such do's and don'ts have the appearance of wisdom. Oh, yeah, they're thinking this is a good thing. God's going to honor us and, and, and like us because we're following these rules. He says that they have the appearance of wisdom. But here's the problem. And here's the problem with not only the man-made laws, but the problem with the Ten Commandments. Listen closely. They can't save you. And the Judaizers still thought if we could obey the Ten Commandments just enough, we can be made right with God. You can't be made right with God. We still obey them, but now for another reason. It's a means of gratitude that we thank God for the life we have in Christ. And now we live in obedience because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We do it for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. Only Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can make us holy and acceptable to God. Now, don't think for a moment that, that you say, well, that was then, Pastor Jim, 1920s, 1987, centuries ago. Don't think that there uh, are no longer any judges today who seek to disqualify you or me from the kingdom of Jesus Christ because of rules that they have set in place. It was just just before I came here. I don't know, it's been six, seven years. Uh, I was doing interim work, and I was an interim pastor in the Grand Rapids area, and I was just preaching the mornings because the church didn't have a, a service in the, in the evening like, like the same thing that we have here. And I was called just before I went to preach in the morning at 8 o'clock from a church. It may have been in Grant. may have been a little higher up. Their pastor was sick and they needed someone to come and preach at night. And I was on a list of pastors in the denomination because my Sunday nights were open that I was available. And so they said, can you come up and preach for us tonight? And I said, absolutely. Glad to do it. Now, I didn't have a lot of gas in my car. Because... I just usually don't get gas, and I usually don't shop. I usually don't do things on Sunday. Not because it's wrong, per se. It's just the way I've been brought up, and that's okay. That's my thing. It doesn't have to be your thing. But I knew I had just about empty. I I was going to make it to Monday. But how am I going to drive a three-hour drive with no gas in my car? So after church on Sunday at the church uh, that I preached at, I pulled into the gas station and filled my tank full of gas, just preparing for tonight, and... Lo and behold, somebody drives right up behind me. person who was at the church that I preached at that morning. Pastor Jim, what are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty obvious. I'm filling, filling my, my car full of gas, right? I didn't say it that way, but it's pretty obvious what I'm doing. Pastor Jim, you know you, you shouldn't have do that. It's Sunday. How, how bad of you to do that? What's the matter with you? Now, first, I don't think that's any kind of great sin of a nickname, But second, do you think this person knew that I, how am I going to get up three-hour drive without putting gas in my car? You know, God's not going to perform this miracle that, okay, God, I'm going to honor the Sabbath. i am not putting gas in my car. I know you can fill it up for me. Wouldn't that be nice today with the way gas prices are? But it doesn't happen that way. And so here I'm thinking, I went home, I thought about it for a while, and on my three-hour drive, I'm thinking, you know what? Knowing of this passage, here's—I think this is one of those judgmental, legalistic people who are trying to impose their do's and don'ts on me. And God forbid that they do that, and God forbid that you do that. We have no right to do that. But that's where this person was, and it's good for them if they honor God with that. That's wonderful. But they have no right to put that demand on other people. And simply, I want to ask you this morning, rather than judging and condemning people, just I want you to search your heart and to say, Lord, am I one of those people? I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I submit to him. But when it comes to man-made regulations and laws outside of the Ten Commandments now, do I try to impose upon other Christians things that I do or not do on now Sunday or in other areas? Am I I the kind of person that will disqualify someone and surely let them know it? All of those who, who follow all the rules that we have, they sit over in this section, but if you don't, you sit in the disqualified section this morning, right? Am I that kind of person? Am I a person who's more connected to the shadow and have forgotten? Gotten and lost a complete connection with Christ because I'm so focused on living in the shadow of what who was pointing to Christ that I don't have a very connection connection with Jesus. I have a great connection with obeying these laws and regulations I have, and the law. I'm still too much in love with the law that I can't let certain things go so that I can fall in love with Christ. That's what this is all about. Am I so focused on the law that I'm missing out in relationship with Jesus Christ? And if that's you. As we come to the table this morning, you better have some quiet repentance because you're not getting it. This is your connection right here with Jesus. Right here. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus gives the ability through the Holy Spirit to cleanse you. It talks about, in the end, uh, restraining sensual indulgence. You can't get that by obeying the law. You get that through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus had to come. And maybe you're one of those people this morning... You say, no, I don't like to hear that, Pastor Jim, but you need to hear it. That you become really judgmental and disqualifying other, disqualifying other people who are in Christ because they're not following some of the rules that you want to impose upon them. And maybe before you come to the table, when you have a moment of silence, you can say, Lord, I think I have some difficulty in doing that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> i got to be cleansed by your blood. I'm gonna i got to change my way of thinking and change my behavior. I can still have my rules that I live by. That's not a problem. But I'm not going to impose them on other people. I'm not going to impose them. Let's go back to this question. Do you remember it? Will we go to hell if a couple times a year we have a family dinner or brunch after church in a restaurant? My in-laws seem to believe this is true. And this is how a, a colleague of mine responded. I am tempted to answer this question simply with a laconic, no. Of course you will not go to hell if you eat dinner in a restaurant on Sunday. The scripture says that those who do not believe in Jesus are condemned. Those who embrace him in faith are saved. However, behind this question and the attitude of your relatives lies a whole philosophy of what is a proper observance of the Lord's day. Sunday ought always to be a special day. It is. It still is to me. Even though I try to live my life that every day is Sunday. Huh? Every day we should be glorifying God and worshiping him. He said Sunday is a special day. It ought to be a day of, and this is what the Catechism says, one of our confessions, it ought to be a day of worship, a day of fellowship, and like every day, a day of rest, and even resting from our evil ways. The legalism that characterizes the views of so many Christians concerning Sunday is based on a misunderstanding of what the day means for us in the New Testament age. In spite of unhappy reactions to a similar question previously printed, which that was uh, uh, earlier in 1986, which I read and it wasn't too much more to add, he says, I repeat now what I repeated then even though it upset so many people the first time. He says, I repeat it. Jesus Christ took the Old Testament Sabbath with all its regulations and prescriptions, and he took it to the grave with him. Wow. Good answer. He got the answer right, according to Colossians. He got the answer right, and we need to get this answer right, not to be less judgmental. And disqualifying other people. And we need to teach our children, while wow, the law, whatever laws they are, man-made laws and, and, and ceremonial laws and things in the Old Testament, why they were good and had a purpose. Their purpose was to point people to Christ. May we raise our children with the knowledge of, yes, laws are important. But we need to make sure we don't keep them focused on the shadow over here. But to have them focus on Jesus and learn who he is. And that Jesus fulfilled the law. And the law still stands, but for another reason. In fact, in the catechism, it's in the section of gratitude. Now I seek to live out my life with regulations and laws because of what Christ did for me, not because they're going to save me, because they're a good guide, tomorrow living, and because, and we're going to have a series on them, by the way, this fall, the Ten Commandments, a really good reason to continue to read things like the Ten Commandments, they'll point out your sin. They'll point out your sin, and then, of course, your need for Jesus Christ. And just as we've been learning all along, Jesus is all we need. The supremacy of Jesus Christ over everything. Jesus is all we need. And let's continue to work as Christians and remaining connected and focused on him. And God will be pleased with how we live our moral life. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. That's a difficult passage. And in fact, many here this morning don't even know how difficult it is To interpret this particular section of scripture, it's one of the most difficult, even for Greek scholars, to interpret a number of words and and where things apply here. But at least the message is clear. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, uh, to understand how the law can serve us in, in many good ways, but not to get stuck and so focused on the law that we lose our eyes and become blind to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law. Keep our eyes and our minds focused on him because we know that through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, now you can lead us as we keep in step with the Spirit to live the kind of life you want us to live by the Spirit's guidance as we seek to live in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone saying, amen. We're going to take time to approach the table this morning. We want to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the reality, the substance. This is where our salvation, this, this, this table reminds us our salvation is found in Christ alone. And as we approach this table this morning, uh, we're going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, can I have the elders come forward while we stand? We're going to stand and recite together what we believe concerning God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Could you stand? And I believe those words are going to be on the screen, correct? As we approach the table, we respond by saying what we believe. Everyone's saying, I believe. You may be seated. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, now replacing the old covenant, the Old Testament. This is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One author writes, The Lord's Supper summons us to look back to the death of Christ, to look to the present, to the reality of God's forgiveness right now. To look within to examine our hearts. To look upward to God in confession and thanksgiving. To look around at God's people. To look outward to invite the world to the cross. To look forward to Christ returned. And if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and if you are sorry for your sins and you desire to live a godly life, then you are invited to join us at the table this morning. The author continues when he says, come to this table not because... You must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come by certain laws that you might be following to get right with God, but because you have a need for mercy and a need for help. Come because you love the Lord Jesus Christ a little and you would like to love him a lot. Come, because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Friends in Christ, the bread that we break is a communion of the body of Christ. We share it together. In the middle, you'll find gluten-free bread.
1: In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights are. What depths of peace when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all-in. bar
0: eat, remember and believe that the body of Jesus was given so that we may be forgiven of all of our sins. cup of blessing is a reminder that the blood of Jesus Christ was given for the forgiveness of our sins. We share the cup together.
1: Yeah. That's okay. good.
0: Take drink, remember and believe that the precious blood of Jesus Christ was given for our forgiveness of sins. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks that you have shown yourself to us and reminded us that our Christian living is all about you. And that our life finds its essence and source and the way we live as we submit ourselves to you. Continue, Lord Jesus Christ, to fill us with your spirit. We so thank you for this, this communion supper that reminds us that we've been forgiven of our sins and, and made alive in Christ. And now we can live each and every day, honoring and glorifying you by the lives you give us to live through the power of your Holy Spirit that continues to make us holy, all because of your precious blood. In whose name we pray, everyone say. Amen.